Well, we left off, as I said, in John 5. It was really four Sundays ago. And so we're kind of in the middle of the section. But John chapter 5, verse 31 is where we're going to pick it up this morning. John 5, verse 31. Just follow along with me as I read. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish... The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one in whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God, comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I realize we jumped right into the middle of of some dialogue, and I'll catch you up, don't worry. And so if you weren't here four weeks ago, or if you've forgotten where we were at four weeks ago, I'll catch you up. But what we, what we left off in John 5, we said Jesus is sort of flashing his credentials here for the Jews, for these religious, particularly these religious Jewish leaders. Um, thanks to Callie, uh, this last week, Brooke and I were able to flash our own credentials. Um, we had to pay dearly for these credentials, and we will be paying uh, if whatever the insurance doesn't pick up. But we were in Cincinnati uh, last week, and... Callie was having surgery, and, and I have never seen such tight security in a hospital in my life. It was bizarre almost. I don't know if there had, I don't know what was going on or if that was normal, but there were about three security checkpoints that we had to pass through to get to Callie's room. And the first one, just to get on the elevator to go up to any floor of the hospital, there were always at least two armed police officers standing at the door just waiting and, and checking badges and all those kinds of things before you could even get on the elevator. But, but with the credentials we were given, we could pass through those secure areas and get to Cali. We had to display this photo badge all the time and had this little key card to get through some of the doors. And it was crazy. But, but credentials, we, that's, that's what credentials are. Credentials are, are, the, are something that allows you to go where, where, you, where you want to go to do what you want to do. Uh, gives you access that, uh, to, to do those things. And so 
why is Jesus here showing his credentials? Why is he showing, justifying why he's doing what he's doing and how, why he has the power and authority to do that? Well, if you remember, it all started uh, back in the first part of John chapter 5. It started when Jesus came into Jerusalem and he went to this pool of Bethesda and he healed a man who had been crippled and unable to walk for 38 years. 38 years. And we think that's wonderful, right? Well, it is, except, um, except that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. You know, this is uh, this dark sounding music to the, to the ears of these religious leaders. That, that the religious elite in Jerusalem, they get all worked up about this. And first they, they attack, not physically, but verbally, the, the man who had been healed because he had the gall to pick up his mat and carry it on the Sabbath day. Couldn't he wait another day? Yes, you've been healed of a disease for, that you've had for 38 years and been unable to walk, but you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. And then they direct their fury against Jesus, the one who told him to pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath. And so, that's, so that leads to this kind of confrontation uh, between Jesus and, and these religious leaders. And it's really kind of the first overt opposition that Jesus experiences from them. They've questioned it, but now they're really beginning to come at him, and it's not going to stop until he's nailed to the cross. And so, as we said uh, last time, Jesus knew what he was doing here. He knew what day of the week it was. It wasn't an oversight. He knew who was watching. He knew that these religious leaders were paying attention to him. Everything Everything that's happening here is going according to plan. He's doing the Father's will. He, he, he does what he does here in healing this man on the Sabbath to set the stage so that he can say what he wants to say to them. And that's what you see. We saw this in verses 17 to 30 where we were a few weeks ago. Jesus, Jesus begins this dialogue with them and it's really one way. He's speaking to them. He has something he wants to tell them and he, he has some claims that he wants to make about himself. And so he moves from what starts as an issue about the Sabbath. Let's talk about the Sabbath and why would you do that on the Sabbath? Don't you know you can't do that on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus starts there, but he quickly goes not to the Sabbath issue, but to the sonship issue. He wants him to know who he is and what his identity is as, as a very son of God. And so verse 18, the, the, the religious leaders, they get this. They understand what he's saying about himself because they said Jesus wasn't just breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't hiding behind some kind of vague generalizations and innuendos here as he's talking to them and claiming this authority and power to do what he does even on the Sabbath, he's, he's making it crystal clear what he's claiming for himself. And that's full deity. And so, so he's, again, he's not, not veiling his words. This is kind of a wink and a nod here and just trying to kind of disguise what he's saying. No, he makes very clear, very specific claims about himself that only God could ever make. So he says, God is my father. I do the work that the father, my father does. I can do everything that my father can do. I can raise the dead. I will come and judge the entire world. Those are some of the claims that Jesus makes in verses 17 to 30. And again, only God can do those things. And Jesus says that he has all the power and authority to do them. And so after listening to these claims from Jesus, you can almost, 
You can almost hear the Jews screaming inside at least, prove it. Prove it. That's 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 an audacious claim. Blasphemous claim if it's not true. So prove it, Jesus. You say you can do that. You say you've got all that power and authority. But can you prove it? And so Jesus answers their unspoken demand here. And he he does so giving this kind of three-stranded testimony. Endorsing all that he's been saying about himself to them. And that's what we're, that's where we pick it up in verse 31, where we read just a minute ago. So, I mean, and, and we see the, the validity and value of this. If, if you just imagine that I came in this morning and said, you know what I did last night? I went out and bought a brand new Ferrari. Bright red. It goes zero to 60 in three seconds. Is that a thing? Car people, I don't even know what, what a good time is, but it's fast. It, it smells like Italy, that leather, and oh, it's good. And and you say, well, well, wow, can I come take a look at it? I say, oh, no, 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 I put it in, I put it in storage and and um, I don't have it here now. But trust me, it's amazing. You might ask me, well, can I see pictures of it on your phone or something like that? Well, no, I didn't. I didn't take any pictures. The light was kind of low and my camera wasn't working well. So I didn't, I didn't get pictures, but. Then you might ask me, well, what does Brooke think about this? <laughs> oh, she doesn't know. <laughs> uh, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't know. Um, well, how, how did you afford that Ferrari? Well, we scraped it together, and yeah, just trust me, it's, it's there. You, what are you thinking of me at this point? You're blowing a lot of hot air here. <laughs> You're a big liar. And because why? Because I'm the only one testifying about it. There's no, there's no other proof. I have, I have no other proof. So the fact that I'm the only one testifying really proves nothing other than that I'm probably lying. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. Look in verse 31 again. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, it's not that Jesus was lying again about himself. But what he's saying, and, and listen, Jesus has every right to demand that his hearers and us, the readers of this gospel account, acknowledge the truth of who he is. He doesn't need anybody else to bear witness in, in that sense. That, uh, and one day he will command universal acknowledgement of who he is. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But here he forgoes that right. And he chooses to kind of play by the rules of earth. He plays according to... The, the, the law, the God-given law of Moses, which is the law, really, that he gave, in, in irony. And it says that an individual's testimony is not sufficient by itself to prove his case. And so there have to be at least two independent witnesses that are required to prove something. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6. You see it other places in the Old Testament. And Jesus even repeats this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, who is this other one that is bearing witness about him? Some think he's referring to John, because that's exactly where he goes in verse 33. But I think what Jesus is referring to here is is his Father. It's God the Father. As we read through that, you see the Father is really the chief witness, and he uses the testimony of of John and of Jesus' works and of the Old Testament Scripture, but the Father is the one bearing witness. The, he's, he's the ultimate, primary witness, and He wants people to recognize that Jesus is His Son. 
And again, so he uses these three witnesses to testify about Jesus. But I think that's what he's saying. And so the first witness that's called is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Verse 33. We see this. And so we were introduced to John right away as we began the study of the Gospel of John. We saw it. Look back in John chapter 1 and verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so Jesus said of John and other elsewhere in Matthew's gospel that John was the greatest prophet ever born, really the greatest man ever born. And, and, the, and the common Jewish people, they, they considered John to be a prophet. They, they, they believed he was from God. They knew that. And even the Jewish leaders, they recognized there was something unique and special about, Jesus, uh, about John. They knew he was somebody important. But John is, is given, sent by God to bear witness about Jesus, to, 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 to prepare the way for the Lord we'll see. And, and when John started preaching, the, the, those religious leaders, those Jewish leaders began talking to him and questioning him and trying to figure out this guy. And so you look down verse 19 of chapter 1, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John's not the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's the one preparing the way for the Lord. Now listen, the, 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 the people that John is referring, speaking to and the people that Jesus is speaking to here, they knew when, when, when they heard the word Lord, they knew exactly what that was a reference to. That was God Almighty. And so John is quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. This is a verse that the priests and the Levites that he's speaking to, they would have known by heart. And if you look up Isaiah 43, if you, if you were to look it up in your English Bible, you would see that the word Lord is in all capital letters there. When you see that in the Old Testament, all, all caps, you know that, that that is the word for, let's say, translate Yahweh or Jehovah. It's, it's that covenantal, sacred name for God. And And... and and so, so John is preparing the way for Yahweh, God Himself. And so when John points to Jesus as the, as the one He's been getting people ready for, He's what? He's saying that Jesus is God. So He comes and says, there He is. I'm preparing the way for Yahweh. There He is. And, and so that's what, that's what Jesus is talking about back in John now back in John chapter 5 verse 33, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. He's saying, you guys recognize John as someone special. You ask questions of him. Now look, guess what? Listen to him. Believe what he says. He's preaching the truth. Verse 34, now not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So what Jesus is doing here, he's trying to, trying to kind of form a positive connection between these, again, these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders, and, and, and John here. He's, and so here's the logic. You like John, and you believed in him, at least initially. 
they ended up killing him, but or they were persecuting him. But he's saying, you like John. And John, John pointed to me. So believe John and therefore believe me. That's, that's kind of the logic that Jesus is laying out. You like John. He told the truth about me. Believe him. But while John is, is exactly right about who Jesus is, in order to establish that Jesus is God, Jesus is going to need a higher authority, a greater witness, and that's where we go. Verse 36, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish... Again, the, the Father is the primary primary witness, and he uses the testimony of these, of these other means. And the, the, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so that's the second witness that we see here, is the, is the works of Jesus. So the works of Jesus are greater testimony than John the Baptist. Now the question, what works is Jesus talking about? <coughs> Excuse me. There's a sense in which everything that Jesus did is a testimony from the Father. Remember, everything Jesus, he does nothing on his own. Everything he does is what the Father tells him to do. He said that. And so you could say that all of Jesus' life is a testimony that he's from God, that he is God. His, his perfect sinful, uh, sinlessness, his amazing teaching, his compassion, his, his co- confrontation of the religious hypocrites, his Ultimately, his obedient death on the cross, his resurrection, everything in his life is a witness that he is from God. His whole life is a testimony. But John, as we know, as we've studied through John's gospel already and reminded of the very purpose of John's gospel, John is referring to those miracles of Jesus. John's recorded these seven to eight signs in his gospel account so that readers will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the very purpose in which he's written this, for which he's written this gospel account. And so we've seen three of these signs, these miracles already, and we're going to see probably at least the fourth, maybe the fifth also next week. Um, but, but Jesus is performing these works, and, and, and Jesus is saying, these are a witness to you. This is the second witness you remember what Nicodemus said back in uh, John chapter 3, verse 2, that, that no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So these signs point to Christ, what he says. He's validating what he's claimed about himself, that he's of God. And so the miracles make plain to everyone that God is at work through him. And Jesus was doing many miracles. And we have the ones that are recorded in in John's Gospel account, but at the end of John, he says there were many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So, so, so John could have gone on and on and on and on recording all of the works of Jesus, all of his miracles, all of his amazing teaching, all of, all of uh, his wisdom. But, but Jesus, so Jesus did many things. In fact, we'll get into chapter 6 next week in verse 1. And we'll see that Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee to, to, because the crowds are getting so large because of all of the miracles that he's performing. The, the language there in, in John 6, is, is, it indicates he's continuously doing miracles. He's constantly healing people. It's just sign after sign, work after work after work, and all of it's validating the claims that he's making about himself. And so, so, but, but this is the thing. Miracles aren't enough either. They're not. These Jewish leaders knew this. They knew their Old Testament scriptures. They knew 
Deuteronomy 13 and what, what Moses said that, that, that there would, he was warning Israel as a mouthpiece of God, he was warning Israel that there would be false prophets who would arise and they would perform signs and wonders. But yet they would lead, lead his people astray. So he's warning them against that danger. There, there are going to be those who wow you with their impressive signs and miracles. And so, so maybe these religious leaders are skeptical, thinking, well, we've seen this before. We've seen this before. We've been warned about this. But those, those false prophets that Moses warns about, they're evil. They're, they, and, and so he says they have to be evaluated by what they say and by how they live, by their theology and by their morality. And here's the thing. Jesus' miracles are coupled with his perfect life, sinless life, perfectly obedient to God's law and his unparalleled teaching and his clear devotion to God the Father. So this is a strong, powerful witness. It confirms the claims that Jesus makes. So you have the witness of John. You have the witness of Jesus' works. And finally, you have the witness of the Scriptures. An even greater witness. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. How has He done this? His voice was never heard. No form of Him is, you have, have you, has, and His form you have never seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the One whom He has sent. So, what's at work here, there's some Old Testament imagery um, here in these verses. That Remember when Israel is at the base of Mount Sinai, and, and they're there, and God was speaking directly to them, and, and, and all the smoke, and all the thunder, and all the lightning, and the people get concerned about this. Israel, God's people are concerned. They're, they're afraid. They don't want to hear God's voice. They don't want to be in His presence. And so they send Moses to go and to talk to God for them. And so that, that kind of display there on Israel's refusal to hear God's voice, it's, it's kind of a pattern for them. It served as a pattern for them. Throughout, it has served that throughout their existence. It, throughout Israel's history, they've, they've constantly refused to listen to God's word, refused to believe what he's spoken. And I think that's what Jesus has in mind here. Just as Israel refused to listen to God's word at the very beginning, that's exactly what they're doing even now. These Jewish religious leaders, representative of the nation, they don't listen to God. They don't recognize in God. They don't have his word in them. And that's the reason that they reject Jesus. Verse 38, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So the reason they don't listen to God is because ultimately they've rejected Him, Jesus. So he goes on, verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He's saying you you search the Scriptures. Now clearly the, the Scriptures that he's talking about is not the 66 books we hold, but it's the first 39 that we hold. It's the Old Testament Scriptures. The New Testament isn't, hasn't been written at this point. And so he's saying you search the Old Testament and, and you keep in mind that the Jewish memorization of the Old Testament was legendary. I mean, for those of you, some of you are really strong at memorizing Scripture and you've memorized large sections of Scripture, but you can't touch what most Jews memorized of the Old Testament. They, they, 
they, the Pharisees in particular, they committed vast sections of the Old Testament to memory. Not just the, the Scripture, but also the different nuances and, and various interpretations of the Scripture. They had memorized these rabbinical teaching. And, and so they believed that searching the Scriptures like that gave them eternal life. And of course, a person can be saved from the Old Testament Scriptures. You see it in Acts chapter 8. The Philip is, bears witness to the Ethiopian. And, and what does he do? He uses Isaiah 53 to give witness to him. And he believes in Jesus and he's saved. And you have Paul says to Timothy that the Old, Old Testament Scriptures are able to make one wise for salvation. 2 Timothy 3. So the Old Testament is able to give eternal life. But in order for it to give eternal life... You, it has to be understood rightly. And that's what Jesus is getting to here. You have to see that the Old Testament Scriptures, they point to Jesus. They do. The, the God's, they, they point to the fact that God's redemptive plan culminates in the sending of Christ. So the Jews knew the Old Testament, but they missed the whole reason that the Old Testament was written. It's like, uh, if you know a lot of information about how to build a roof or something on your house. And so you, you know about trusses and you know uh, about pitch and you know about different types of shingles and, and how to hang gutters and put up flashing and, and, and how to install different you know metal roofing and shingles and all of that kind of stuff. And you know, if you're in the north, you know about snow loads and all that kind of... You know how to install a roof. You know it better than anybody. And then someone comes and asks you, what's a roof for anyway? I have no idea, no clue, but I know how to install one. Well, you, you, can, you can have all of the particulars and all the information about roofing, but, it, but, you, but you can be clueless that the roofs are basically designed to, keep, to, to, to protect people inside from the weather outside. And, that, and that's kind of what, what Jesus is getting to is here. This is, this is how it was with these Jewish leaders. They knew the Scriptures they could recite whole books of the Old Testament. They, they could tell you, and this was, this was knowledge that they had. They knew the exact middle verse of the, of the Old Testament scriptures. Everybody knew that. They knew, they knew how many of the letter Aleph there were across the whole Old Testament. They, they could tell you this Bible trivia. They knew how many paragraphs there were in the Hebrew scriptures. So they could tell you all of these facts about the Old Testament, but they completely missed Jesus. And that was hard to do. Because he's everywhere. They, they had no idea that the scriptures pointed to Christ. The Old Testament is filled with prophecies concerning Christ that were written hundreds of years before he came to earth. That he would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5 2. That he would be a descendant of David, Isaiah 11 1 4. That he would teach in parables, Psalm 78 2 4. That he would be an heir to, the, to, to David's throne, 2 Samuel 7. 12 to 13, that he would be rejected by his people, Isaiah 53, 3, that he would be crucified, Psalm 22, 16, that he would be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41, 9, and, and on and on and on we could go. So many examples. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. And here are these experts in the law and in the Old Testament, they completely missed it. And we know they completely missed it because they didn't recognize, they didn't believe receive Jesus. They rejected Him. The very fulfillment of the Scriptures that they claimed to study and pour over so that they could have eternal life. And they missed it. They refused to believe in Him. And so they, Jesus says, you don't have life because you've rejected Me. 
So you have these three witnesses. You have John, you have the works of Christ, you have the Old Testament scriptures, and together they confirm that everything Jesus claimed about himself in verses 17 to 30, all of that's true. But, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he's going to kind of turn the tables on the Jewish leaders here, and he, and he levels these three charges against them. Three things. One, they don't love God. That's a hard pill for them to swallow. They don't receive Him. They don't receive the Christ, the promised Messiah. And third, they seek glory from men. And they're all interrelated. So verse 42, Jesus says they don't love God. They do not have the love of God within them. And that was a shocking, scandalous statement for Jesus to make. That's how it sounded to their ears. These very religious, very upright, Scripture-searching Jews, they don't love God? Why? Because they don't love Jesus. You, you, can't, you can't not love Jesus and love God. Muslims don't love God. They hate Him because they hate Jesus. They don't, they don't receive Jesus as He's revealed in Scripture, as He's revealed Himself. Jews who reject Jesus don't, don't love God. People who are indifferent towards Jesus don't, don't love Him. Don't love God. People who think that their works can earn salvation, that they don't need the atonement that, that Jesus provides. They, don't, they cannot love God. I don't care how religious they are, how many times they go to church, and how, how, how much they fast, and what kind of sacrifices they make. They, they cannot love God if they reject Jesus. And he goes on, verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Jesus says that since he's from God, the the only acceptable response is absolute acceptance of him. There's no in-between. And I skipped verse 41, and that was sort of by design, because I think it's a good contrast to verse 44. So verse 41, Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people. So the idea there is that he doesn't do things in order to please people. He doesn't care what people think about them. He cares about doing the Father's will. That's what's, that's what's compelling Jesus to do what he does and say what he says. But the Jews, they desperately care how people think about them. They, they love the glory that comes from man. In fact, they love it so much, that's really the cause of their rejection of Christ. Verse 44, how can you believe? So compare, Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? They love man's glory. They're eaten up with caring about what people think about them. And then Jesus really tightens the screws on them, verse 45, and we'll, and we'll be done. Though these men really love themselves and their own glory, they professed a great love for someone else, and that was Moses. Moses was their guy. He was the man in their minds. He, he, he was the one that they could always count on, Moses. They pride, prided themselves in, in their devotion to Moses and what Moses has said. But Jesus says, on the day of judgment, there will be no hiding behind Moses for you. It's not going to work. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I say, you don't believe Moses. 
the, the one you say you've set your hope on, you, you don't really believe him because he wrote of me. He pointed to me and you've rejected me. So you've rejected Moses. I mean, these guys love Moses because they thought they could earn their salvation by doing what Moses said to do, by keeping the law, by keeping the rules. If they could just do that enough, they'll be fine. So they set their hope on Moses their, and their adherence to the law of Moses. But Jesus says, there's not a chance. It's not going to help you. Not only can no one ever keep God's law well enough to earn salvation, but Moses himself points people to Christ and to their need for him. So Moses wrote about the offspring in Genesis 3.15 who would crush the head of the serpent. He wrote about the prophet, the, the, the greater prophet in Deuteronomy 18.15-22 who would be greater than he was. He, he, wrote about, he wrote all the laws that no one could possibly keep and we're told that those were a tutor designed to lead people to Christ. He wrote about the duties of the earthly priests that, that, that were sinful and weak, and they all died. And there was a greater priest coming. He wrote about sacrifices that, were, that, that never fully took away sin, but they were really a shadow of things to come, of Christ. And so they set their hope on Moses. But what is Jesus saying here? I am your only hope. I'm it. You, you reject me. You've rejected Moses. But if you listen to Moses, you will receive me. He is God. Jesus is God. Eternity rests in his hands. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so the greatest prophet who ever lived, John the Baptist said so. Jesus works. His miracles confirm this. The Old Testament scriptures point to him and validate what he says. The, Moses himself validates this. And so the reason that these Jewish leaders, they rejected Jesus, had nothing to do with a lack of external evidence. It had everything to do with internal hardness of heart. That was, that was the root of it. And that's the sad reality of truth, of unbelief in every age, even in our own. And so, so the, the, the hope for us, and, and the, the reason that we who are in Christ the reason we're in Christ, the reason we've trusted in Christ is not because the evidence was just stacked up so high that we just couldn't, couldn't do anything else and we, we were convinced intellectually. I, I understand that, that there might have been evidence that was presented to you that was helpful in the process, but ultimately, that's never going to be enough. Our eyes have to be opened by God to, to just receive Christ as He's proclaimed. So our job is not to, to convince everybody with external evidence. Our task is simply to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and pray for God's Spirit to work in them and bring them to faith in Him so that they'll receive it. Um, and so, but, but this is, we're all, we were all in this condition. This was, this is exact. We, we point to the Jews and, and we kind of get upset and we think how ridiculous this is, but every one of us was in this state. We were all there. And, and yet God was gracious to open our eyes. And that may, be the state of, that may be the state of some of you today. You may be here, you may have grown up in this church, and yet still, you're still blind to the truth of who Jesus is. Or maybe you, this is your first time to walk into any church, and, and you're here, and you're hearing these things, and it sounds kind of, it sounds incredible, and maybe not even in a good way, but unbelievable. And yet, it's true. 
Jesus is who he says he is. And so you have to either take that claim, and it's, it's been said before, that you take all that Jesus says, and you've got to be convinced of one of three things. He's either Lord, as he says he is, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. And I'm here to tell you, he's Lord. And what he's spoken is true. And I urge you, if you've not put your trust in Jesus, if you don't even know what that means, talk to me, talk to someone around you, and, and we would love to point you and to explain more about the offer that Jesus offers. Jesus came that we might have life, have it abundantly. God loved the world. He sent His only Son into this world as a gift. And whoever believes in Him might have eternal life. And you, that, is, that offer is available to you today. Let's pray together. Father, I I pray, God, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know of Jesus Christ, that hasn't believed in Jesus as he's proclaimed himself, the claims that he's made of himself, that he, in him alone, is eternal life, that today would be the day of salvation for them. They would trust in him. But for all of us, God, burden our hearts. We have people around us. We have people in our neighborhoods, people in our workplaces, people in our classrooms at school, people in our families, God who are still blinded to the truth of who Jesus is. God, help us to love them enough to pray for you, to open their eyes and for them to believe in Christ and and love them enough to be bold in proclaiming salvation in Christ alone. So God, may may Jesus be on our lips in, in witness and in worship, God, even today. We pray in Jesus' name.